0: Beach. Thanks to the Boardwalk Plaza for being the Bridge Podcast Network sponsor. Story jumpers, welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast. Are you ready to hear a great story? Of course, that's why you're a story jumper. What would you do if you uncovered a real locket from 1880 washed up on the beach? Join Virginia and Rodney as they discover a world that spans two centuries. Traveling through time, they unravel the mystery of The Lost Locket of Lewis. This book combines facts with action to keep you turning the pages while learning about Lewis, Delaware, and life in the 19th century. Enjoy this reading of The Lost Locket of Lewis by Alona Holland.
1: locket of lewis written by elona holland and illustrated by judy love over here virginia shouted ronnie directed the beam toward a ghost crab scurrying into its hole wow ronnie said i see something shiny maybe it's a part of blackbeard's treasure virginia gently swept sand away it's a locket she exclaimed i can barely read the inscription ronnie said Let me see, Virginia reached and accidentally pushed the tiny pin on the side. The locket sprang open. Yuck, what's that, Rodney shivered. It looks like a curl of hair, Virginia explained. People used to save hair from someone who died to remember them. I can think of lots of other ways to remember someone, grunted Rodney. Virginia closed the locket and turned it over. "'I wonder who RBR is,' she mused. "'I don't know, but we can ask Mrs. Brittingham,' replied Ronnie. "'She knows Lewis history, "'and she'll be at the Fourth of July parade tomorrow.' "'Virginia ran her fingers over the smooth surface. "'Finders keepers,' she whispered. "'The next day, the twins parked their bikes "'behind the old Burton house at the end of 2nd Street. "'Running toward the parade, "'Ronnie stumbled over a large yellow rock.' Ouch, he cried and looked down hey this rock has writing on it he said surprised picking it up he read aloud follow the rabbit and you shall see the wonderful world of 93 a gift once lost you will provide the joy of truth to feel inside 93 what what gift he murmured just then A little brown rabbit appeared by the corner of the house. As soon as the twins took one step towards it, the rabbit hopped three times. The day grew dark as if the sun had slept magically behind the moon, then slowly all became light again. In that moment, the world changed. What happened to your clothes? asked Rodney. You never wear dresses like that. "'How about you?' Virginia started to giggle. "'You look hilarious in tights!' Suddenly, Virginia reached for the locket. Whew, she whispered. "'I never want to lose this. Ever.' "'Is that Second Street?' Rodney asked, bewildered. "'Where are the cars?' "'I don't know, but we better find out,' Virginia said, sounding a little worried. As they moved through the crowd... They overheard talk of muskrat stew and ways to evaporate peaches. It all sounded very odd. "'There's King's Ice Cream,' Rodney pointed. When they opened the door, Rodney wrinkled his nose. "'What's that smell?' "'Can I help you?' a voice from the back huffed. "'What happened to King's Ice Cream?' they asked in unison. "'There's no ice cream here. If you want rockfish, come back tomorrow. Otherwise, we're closed.' grunted the fishmonger. Virginia bumped into a girl standing outside. "'Sorry, do you know where King's Ice Cream went?' Virginia asked. The girl looked puzzled. Rodney pushed forward. "'Hi, I'm Rodney. We found an old locket, and we're trying to find its owner.' "'Oh,' said the girl. "'I'm Leah. Can I see it?' Leah turned the locket over. "'The date says 1880. That's not very old.' Ronnie looked confused, but continued, "'Do the initials RBR mean anything to you?' "'No,' Leah said, distracted. "'But the sack races are about to start. Are you going?' "'Sure,' Virginia said quickly. She shrugged at Ronnie. Ronnie kept his eyes on Leah. He didn't want to lose her in the crowd. Suddenly, he tripped on a loose board and fell hard. "'Leah, wait!' cried Virginia." Leah turned. Oh, that looks bad, she said. We better see my father. He's a doctor. I don't need a doctor, announced Rodney. I just need a bathroom to wash up. What's a bathroom? asked Leah. Never mind, grumbled Rodney. Come on, Leah said. We live past Thompson's clothing store, the big house at the end of the street. The Burton house? asked Virginia. Yes, I'm Leah Burton, Leah answered. Dr. Burton worked quickly. There. You'll be fine, he said. When he finished, he looked at Virginia. That's a lovely locket. May I have a look? Reluctantly, Virginia handed it to him. My mother, Ruth Rodney Burton, lost a locket like this, Dr. Burton continued. She put a piece of my father's hair inside after he died in 1880. With a press of the tiny button, the locket popped open. "'Oh,' he sighed. "'This locket is probably hers,' Ronnie said excitedly. "'Grammy's birthday's in a few days,' exclaimed Leah. "'She'll be so surprised to see her locket again!' "'Yes,' added Virginia quietly. "'I'm sure she'd love to have it back.' "'Outside,' Virginia asked, "'Now what?' "'I don't have the pretty locket anymore.' our bikes are gone we're stuck in 1893 Virginia began to sob we'll never see mom and dad again through her tears she saw a strange yellow stone at her feet picking up she read the words a gift once lost you did provide unlock the joy of truth inside what you did was kind and fair to get back home just follow the hair Just then, a little brown rabbit appeared by the corner of the house. As soon as they took one step towards it, the rabbit hopped three times. The day grew dark as if the sun had slipped magically behind the moon. Then slowly, all became light again. In that moment, the world changed. We're home, exclaimed Virginia. She squeezed her brother. Yes, Rodney said, pulling away. It feels great to find the owner of the lost locket. I guess, Virginia sighed. It'll feel even better to win the egg toss again. She started to run. Be my partner, she called. You bet, Rodney answered as they disappeared into the crowd.
0: Can you imagine finding treasure like that on the beach? I would be so excited. And to time travel on top of it? Well, I'm joined by the author, Ilona Holland, who can tell us even more about creating this great story and some of the interesting details she learned while researching the book. Elona, hey, how are you?
1: Very, very excited to be here and to talk with all the story jumpers today.
0: Well, we are glad to have you here. Now, I have one very quick question, because is this a real locket, like an actual locket?
1: It actually is. And it will be on display in Lewis at the Lewis History Museum, um, where kids can actually go and see it. It's not on display just now, but we're hoping in the spring that it will be. Um, And a lot of kids ask me, what's a locket anyway? And I think uh, for your listeners, we ought to they ought to think of an egg, but think of it as being a flat egg, not a round egg. I mean, it's round, but it's flat and it actually opens. It has a hinge and a little pin that you push the side up and then it opens up. And this one did indeed. It was actually found on the beach in Lewis in 1888 after the big blizzard that they had that year and it was, I've seen it and it has a cloth cover, which is really not what you think of when you think of a locket. uh, People think of necklaces and they think of it being shiny. And indeed um, I, in the book, it is shiny, but the real locket that inspired the book is not, it has a black, cover. That's cloth. And then when you open it, there's a picture. And that picture is a girl. And when I talk to kids, I ask them, who do you think this could be? And of course, they come up with, well, maybe it's, a, it's someone's sister, or maybe it's someone's mother, or maybe it's their daughter. Well, the best guess we have, we don't know who the person is, but we do think the locket may have belonged to a sailor. And it actually fit in his pocket because an egg is pretty big. When I said, think of an egg, that's yes. the right size. This is bigger than a necklace locket, and uh, but it opens just like a locket. Huh. And on the other side inside, there is a lock of hair, actually, oh, wow. like a curl of hair that you can see. And yeah. we do, you know, we assume that hair belonged to the girl huh. who must have been some Per, very special person to be.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wow! That's very romantic to think that maybe a sailor carried uh, you know a picture of his sweetheart and a little bit of her hair. That's really something. But then it wound up on a beach, it, and you, it, you think maybe that was because there was a blizzard or. Um, or, or how, how do they think the locket got there?
1: That's really all we know, which it makes wow. it such a mystery. And that's why it had such power to inspire a story of time travel, because yeah. no one knows. And that's the guess. It was a huge storm. So possibly yeah. that, um, you know, it got lost in the storm and fell fell off a ship or something. It washed up on shore. We don't know.
0: So interesting. Well, I I would love to see that locket like you've seen it before, you know, Um, so we'll have to find more details on when that gets uh, displayed in Lewis, Delaware. Now, this book is, this story is, it takes place in our time, but then it takes place way back in history. So what kind of work goes into writing about a specific time period in history?
1: There's a lot of research and research simply means you read a lot and you look at things like that locket is called a primary source because that means it is something that was created at the time that you're studying. So it's it was actually a primary source for me of information about 1893, um, even though I said, and that's true, it washed up on shore in 1888, but it was found later and it was Close enough, I mean, that is still representative of that time period. And um, so we did, I did a lot of research. The Lewis Historical Society has journals, tons of them, and they are good and they're full of facts and information. And in my book, I made sure that children would know what was fact and what was fiction. And those of you out there, you should know the difference between fact. And fiction, think about it. Fiction means it's made up. Facts are true. So there's some true facts mixed into a made up story of time. Yes. Well, that
0: makes it fun. You know, we can still use our imagination to explore history. And I think that you've done a wonderful job with that here. Thank you. What other surprises have you tucked into this book, the treats that await our story jumpers when they get a copy?
1: Well, a lot of the kids really like information that is in the back. And there's a map. And what's fun about the map is you can take the map onto 2nd Street. You can actually walk down the street and you could start at my favorite spot anyway. Although it's really hard because at one end of the street there's my what I'm calling my favorite spot because it has ice cream.
0: Ah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other end of the street is another favorite spot because it is the home of the Lewis Historical Society, which of course to me is a very important place of lots of information and beauty, too, because we actually have a campus there. And that's where Leah lived. It's her actual house. is the house that the Lewis Historical Society uses for their offices. That's where she lived. So you can walk the whole street. Now, one of the things that we talk about with kids, sort of sad, Leah... um, had a sister, and her sister's name was Mary. And when Leah was eight, Mary died, which was so sad. Mary was uh, three days old. And I explained mm. to the kids that babies died in back then because we didn't have the same medical care we do today. And happily, right. our babies these days have a much better chance of doing just fine. But back then, that wasn't always the case. Though so Mary died when she was 3 and she's buried in St. Peter's Episcopal Church graveyard and you can see her grave if you walk to the church and even on stand on the sidewalk look over the wall and it's right there baby Mary's grave so that's something extremely special because it ties us today back to Leah's life in yes. ninety three, And, um, well, even before that, because uh, that was, I guess it would be 18, uh, 18, oh, when would she be? She was eight. So she was born in 78. So we have to do some math, everybody. What year would she have been eight years old? If she was born in 1878, you have to add eight to that. So Think. Mm-hmm. I think you've got it 1886
0: right. that's what I came up with
1: this <laughs> <laughs> is a chance to make someone think because <laughs> so, <laughs> I like to think too that's great so,
0: 1886
1: Mary died and uh, you can see her grave And how
0: interesting is that
1: yeah, and another treat in the story that you just heard is there's no ice cream at King's Ice Cream, is there?
0: No, so disappointing. Uh, I know. What were they even thinking?
1: And and before it became a fish store, it was in the 1700s, it was a prison.
0: What? Yes, I know. No way. I know.
1: So there are lots of treasures, and the map tells you all about them, and you can find out all about the buildings as you walk along, all the secrets.
0: because Oh, that's cool. Here. That's really cool. Well, so I, I also understand that you tucked a recipe for muskrat stew.
1: <laughs> I did.
0: I've got to admit, that doesn't sound great. No.
1: How many of you out there know what a muskrat looks like? <laughs> I bet there are a lot of you who've never seen one. Well, think, have you ever seen a beaver? Or a picture of yes. a beaver. Yes,
0: I have. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, a beaver has a flat tail, right? Well, think of a beaver with a sort of a rat's tail, a skinny. Tail. Ooh, that's horrible. <laughs> they live in the. They love to live in the marsh, and they fish and frogs and vegetation as well, and they have very soft fur and warm fur. So back in the day, they were they were uh, hunted for their fur and for their meat, because muskrats could make really good warm coats, but they also made a stew. Now, I didn't say it was a yummy stew, because to me, it doesn't (laughs) sound yummy at
0: all. It doesn't sound great. Maybe with the right seasonings, you could pass it through.
1: Well, let me tell you some ingredients. You put in some carrots and some onions, and uh, you can, or I, actually potatoes, sorry, not carrots, potatoes, and some corn, and tomatoes. So it's sort of a red-based soup. And uh-huh. you know that I believe there are a few restaurants in the area. I think there's one in Ellendale where you can get muskrat stew.
0: Oh. Well, I'll leave that as a challenge to all the story jumpers. (laughs) Let me know if you go out and enjoy muskrats too. (laughs) So, okay. Back up a second because, you know, when I I listen to the story, I'm enjoying it for a story's sake. But you're telling me that Leah Burton and her father were real, actual residents of Lewis? That's amazing.
1: They were. And as I said, she was born in 1878. And that makes it sound like worlds and worlds and worlds ago. But what shocked me, it won't shock your story jumpers, because they're so young, it still will sound like worlds and worlds and worlds ago. But she died when I was 18.
0: Oh, my. Right.
1: My life and her life coincided.
0: They overlap, We're overlapped.
1: They yes. And when I read that, when I figured that out, I went, oh my goodness, I never met her. I was in high school when she died, and she was 90 when she died. But we lived in the same, we shared time on earth together.
0: That is she cool.
1: really, really kind of amazed me. And she's very real. I mm-hmm. loved her story. I mean, obviously, it was very sad that she lost her sister, but... She, her father was amazing. Her father was a medical doctor. He did everything from, which they did in those days, from delivering babies to fixing cuts and scrapes. He did everything. But one of the jobs he had that when I wrote the (laughs) books a few years ago didn't mean as much as it does to me today. He actually would go out to ships that would come into the Delaware breakwater from all over the world. And he would check the sailors. And what would he be checking them for? For I can't imagine. For contagious diseases like smallpox and yellow fever, because there were no vaccines for them Uh and no medicines for them. And they could, they were extremely contagious. So here we are in our world today where we're facing a very contagious disease. So history repeats itself on some level. And that was his job, which was a really rather dangerous one.
0: Yes, he'd take that risk to go out to the ships and see if they were sick or well to determine if they could even come into the port and and finish their, their deliveries.
1: Exactly. And if they were sick, They were taken to a special quarantine hospital. We've heard that word, quarantine, where you have to stay away from people because you're sick. Well, indeed, this was a hospital dedicated to those diseases that were so contagious to keep them away from the residents of Lewis so that the townspeople would not get sick too.
0: Wow. Isn't that something? Isn't it? That's pretty cool. Now, I heard... That Blackbeard the Pirate once visited Lewis Delaware. What do you know about that?
1: Well, that's the way the story goes. Nobody <laughs> really knows if that's the case. Blackbeard there were two pirates actually, who were said to come to visit. Um, one is Captain Billy William Kidd, yes. and the other one is Blackbeard. Now, what we here's what we know about both of them, both of them were get well, they know that William Kidd started by being a sailor who would go out to sea to protect the English merchants. those mm. were the people who would carry goods all over the world because back in and this was a long, long, long time ago, this was in the sixteen eighties. From 1690 to 1726, so that's really that's before our country was a country. Yes, um, they there were lots of pirates, and so there were merchants who would go. That merchants would hire people to come and to protect them and watch for the pirates. Well, that's how both of them started. But hmm. what happened? Well, they got a little greedy. <laughs> and, Sounds uh, like it. Instead of protecting the the actual deliveries to the queen, they started keeping it all for themselves. And so that turned them into pirates because they were stealing on the oceans and keeping the loot for themselves. Mm -hmm. Blackbeard got his name because he had a huge beard, a big black bushy beard. Can you imagine? He at that time, we don't have these anymore. They were called match fuses. We don't, that doesn't even exist. But a match fuse was a match that would burn very, very slowly, sort of like a candle, but without the wax.
0: Mm. And
1: he would put these match fuses in his beard and light them. And so he would come at you with fire coming out of his beard and smoke. I don't even know how he could breathe. because No, I,
0: what a wild man.
1: A, a wild man, exactly. And <laughs> the reason why people think that both of these pirates were in Lewis, because there, there were reports of spotting their ships off the coastline and that these big pirate ship was there. And then men in smaller boats would be coming back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the land, to the shore, and they think there's buried treasure. Now, a lot of people have been looking, and if those story uh, jumpers are out there with their shovels in the summertime and they strike a coin, they could maybe find a coin or they could find something else.
0: A whole chest.
1: Right, who knows? <laughs> <for> somebody.
0: <laughs> oh man, I'm going to start spending more time at the beach.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Elena, you also have a fascinating history all your own. I understand that you actually did not speak English until you were five years old. Yes. What's the story there? That's
1: correct. Um, my parents uh, fled Hungary during World War II, and they went to Germany to both of them uh, went to medical school in Germany and I was born at the end of that time. And then they asked you, you would put out, you would just send out requests to be if, for sponsors. And we were sponsored um, by a foundation and brought to the United States. And um, we, none of us spoke English. I only spoke German because I was born in Munich, Germany And my parents were speaking German because they were going to school in Munich, Germany. So they spoke German, but that was their second language. So they spoke Hungarian as their native language. Then we came and we were brought here. My father told, both my parents are deceased, but my father told me that the plane we came over on, actually caught on fire and that the one of the propellers was smoking but happily we were across the atlantic very close to new york and oh my goodness and safely but he did say there was smoke and flames coming out of one of the propellers and in those days there were propeller planes sure and it was a very harrowing trip so wow. happily i was only one so i don't remember
0: no no memory
1: but um <laughs> The reason I didn't speak English was then they settled us in a community where there were other German speakers and my, I was little and my mother was speaking to me just herself. But when it came time to go to kindergarten, I had to learn English and learn it fast. And my mother and I would watch a show. A lot of kids learn English, I think from Sesame street now, because people speak slowly and you can understand, and there's lots of visual help to learn a language Well, there was a show called Ding Dong School, and there was a main character on Ding Dong School. Her name was Miss Frances, and she would hold things up like, this is a violin. And she'd say, say that with us. This is a violin. So I saw what a violin looked like, and I learned the word violin at the same time. And that is a big way Mother and I would sit in front of the TV and practice English And then I learned, of course, much more quickly once I went to school. That's wonderful.
0: Now, at this point in your life, I understand that you're retired, which is wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. But I also understand you stay very busy writing children's books.
1: Exactly. That is the reason I retired. I retired to write. I wanted to do that.
0: Very cool. So what are some of the other things that you've written?
1: My very first book is called "Buddy Bison's Yellowstone Adventure," and that is about a little bison who actually is a clip-on toy who comes to life and helps um, a tw- the helps one twin find another twin who had gotten went astray in Yellowstone Park, and they oh my, so, <laughs> yes, because he's a bison and he can he's tall and big and can see you know he. Can, Bison don't have very good eyesight, truth, but he's so tall, he can see over things and he can help find, um, you know, the, the other, the sibling uh, who was lost. Uh, his name was Christopher. Um, and kids get, can get little bison from the National Park Trust and to clip on their backpacks and First graders just love Buddy. And I go around to schools and libraries and talk about bison and how they can survive very cold winters in Yellowstone yes. when the snow is taller than they are. One quick t- one quick fact about bison that always amazed me, you know, they have huge heads and they have big hump on their back and the hump is a muscle to hold their neck and their head on and they use their heads like snow shovels and swish their heads side to side to make a path to be able to go through snow that's actually taller than they are isn't that
0: fascinating, fascinating. that's so cool <laughs> and what's your other book my
1: other book just came out last year and that's called the great explosion oh my that book is based on a true story i what well, i did my research again and um, that book, the, the explosion happened at Hagley, which is in Wilmington, Delaware, and there the DuPont children experienced it in real life, in real time, and one of them, as an adult, wrote down all her memories, and I took those and developed the, um, the, the story, and that explosion happened in 1819.
0: Wow. That sounds exciting and scary a little bit all at the same well, time.
1: Safe. So there's no oh, good. it all worked out well, but uh, it was scary at the
0: time. You know, I've heard from some story jumpers that they not only enjoy hearing great stories, but they sometimes think about writing their own stories. Would you have any tips at all that you could tell these budding authors?
1: I do. Um, when you write a story, be sure that you keep you, you have a who for so your characters, and you know who your characters are, and you know how old they are. That's important. Have a what. Something has to happen. Have a why. Well, why are they doing what they're doing? There has to be a reason. There has to be a when. You have to put it into time. Is it today? Is it in the future? Is it long ago? You have to know. And then you also have to know how your character changed. Your character needs to grow some in some way or other or change or learn something. Then you re- if you have all those pieces, you'll have a really good story.
0: Awesome. Elena, thank you so much for joining us. I have really enjoyed hearing this story. I'm now thinking about Lost Treasure on the Lewis Beaches. But listen, if there's ever an opportunity for you to come back and share about The Great Explosion or Buddy's Bison Yellowstone Adventure... Would you come back and share that with us?
1: I would be delighted. Thank you so much.
0: Great. Well, Alona, happy to have you. And I'm so glad that this story was brought to us. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. And thank you all out there. Story jumpers. Keep reading and write too.
0: Parents, Dr. Alona E. Holland spent over a decade of her professional life teaching at the Harvard graduate school of education. In addition, she conducted evaluations for PBS producers of programs like Martha Speaks, Cyberchase, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, Word Girl, and Wild Kratz. Since retiring, she spends most of her time writing for children and visiting schools all over the world. Elona's titles have won state and national recognition and awards. Her first book, Buddy Bison's Yellowstone Adventure, is included in United Through Reading, a program that reaches 100,000 military families around the globe. Ilona's other books have received first place awards given by the Delaware Press Association and the National Federation of Press Women. Her work has also been featured in Ed Magazine, and her first book was selected as one of Hoda Cope's favorites. You can get a copy of her book at her website or by visiting amazon.com.